This is the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast. Together, we are learning how to make love and marriage better. When you are fixing up a house, there are many things that may need to be replaced or upgraded. The appliances may be worn out, the kitchen cabinets may be falling apart, or the garage door may be broken down. Also, your love life could be filled with things that are worn out, broken, or falling apart. Join us via live recording as we discover some of those things that need replacing in your marriage. Be sure to visit fixeruppermarriage.org slash replace to follow along with the notes and to enjoy additional content. If this podcast is a blessing to you, Consider leaving feedback on our website or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. So here it is. Four things you need to replace in your love life. Identifying what to replace in your fixer upper. Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. As we consider the theme that we have of fixing up a house, and and when you're fixing up a house and you go through, there may be things that need to be replaced or upgraded. Think about maybe appliances that are worn out. It seems like there's always some appliance in our house that's messing up or worn out. Maybe the kitchen cabinets are falling apart and you want to fix your house up, so you need to replace the kitchen cabinets. Or maybe the garage door is broken down. You know, marriage is a lot like a house in that way. Things just get broken down and there are things in our marriages that we need to replace. And so this morning we'll look at four things you need to replace in your love life or identifying what to replace in your fixer-upper. Four things you need to replace in your love. Number one, replace criticism with appreciation. Replace criticism with appreciation. There are two types of criticism. There is what's called constructive criticism, and I like personally like constructive criticism. It's given in a friendful and a helpful way. A lot of times people ask for constructive criticism. I've done that before. Would you please uh, look at my job resume or talk to someone? Would you please give me some constructive criticism? I really appreciate that. It's valuable because it promotes communication as well as personal growth. It gives you a chance to grow better, to be a better person. It's also a type of criticism that is unlikely to hurt someone's feelings if it's done in a constructive way. And I read about this called the sandwich method. I don't know if you ever heard of it or not, but you give someone a compliment and that's like the top of a bun of a sandwich. And then you give them a criticism and that's like the meat. And then you give them another compliment and that's like the rest of the bun. So it's like you sandwich your constructive criticism in between the fluff, right? In that way, um, it's not so hurtful to someone. 
<laughs> you know, I always use the Word of God as a way to constructively criticize my own, my own life. You know, when I read the Bible, I think of my own self, and it, the Lord constructively criticizes me. And He usually does it in a loving way, especially if I'm sensitive to Him and listen to Him. But we all know, if you've been saved for any length of time, you know what it's like. When you don't, then it gets a little harsher, and things God really uh, has to take us to the woodshed, so to speak, or he corrects us more severely. But God offers constructive criticism all the time. But there's also negative criticism or what they call critique. And you can critique someone. And that means that everything is negative. It's just all negative. Many people criticize everything that their spouse does in a negative way. And this is not a healthy thing. It does not fit in what we read this morning, does it? It does not fit the description of love when you're all the time criticizing your spouse in a negative way. You know, one of my favorite uh, cartoon movies, and when you have kids, it's like your favorite movies become cartoons, right? One of my favorite cartoon movies is called Ratatouille. Maybe y'all remember it. it came out a few years ago. And in the the story, there's a mouse named Remy, and he is an aspiring cook, and he watches cooking shows in the house that he lives in, and he meets Linguini, and Linguini is a uh, the garbage person at the restaurant, and he teaches Linguini, and he helps Linguini, and they cook dishes, but there's a character, and he's the food critic, and his name was Anton Ego, and he was just this guy who everything rose and fell on what he said in his food critic articles and his reviews and everybody was all nervous because he could shut the restaurant down if they got a bad recipe or they brought out a bad dish to him and as the story goes you know the mouse cooks ratatouille and serves it to Eton Ego and he just is so enthralled and impressed and he just can't believe how good this dish is not knowing that it was a mouse who cooked this food for him. But it, we, we become like Tan Ego, or however you say it. We become like that food critic in our marriage sometimes. I mean, we just, everywhere, spouse is just worried all the time. What's my spouse going to think? What's she going to say now? What's he going to criticize me now about? It's like you can never do anything right. But constructive criticism builds us up where negative criticism just tears us down. It just filters out anything that's good. Negative criticism can become dangerous to your marriage. You know, it can ruin the love that you have for your spouse. If you are constantly just thinking of negative things that your spouse does, it's not going to be long before you fall out of love with your spouse. It's not going to come long before it affects you mentally. I mean, all you think about is the negative things, and it just ruins your love. Now your mind has just been conditioned when you see your spouse to critique them. It's just, when you see them, you don't want to tell them what they're doing wrong, and it just ruins how you feel for them. Also, it can ruin the love that your spouse has for you. I mean, if you just think your spouse, all they do is criticize you all the time. It's kind of hard to love somebody who just thinks negative about you all the time. And it ruins the love that your spouse has for you because you're constantly... So all they hear are these harsh words. It's hard to love someone like that. And you know what else it affects? It affects the memories that you have in the past. You know, if you constantly criticize your spouse or you're constantly criticizing one another, you know, it's not long before you start to think negative thoughts about even happy moments in your marriage. I've heard people that have been married for years. You know, one of the happiest days of my life was when I got married. But you hear some people talk and they start thinking, thinking about all the negative things that happened that day. I can barely name negative things that happened on the day that I got married. But some people, 
They start talking about everything bad that happened. It all started when we got married, the usher tripped, or this happened, or that happened. Or, you know, but it's because they're so critical of each other and so critical of their marriage that now the memories that they've shared together have become tainted by criticism. That great vacation that you took together, now all of a sudden you remember how bad it was. You remember that the car broke down, or you remember that this happened. is because you're so critical about everything in your life. It suddenly becomes everything becomes a negative thing. And I have seen this happen to people in church before. You know, it's like they forget about all the messages that helped them. They forget about those song services that they were in and they went to the altar crying. They forget about the people that that went to the altar and prayed with them or they forget about the people that brought them food when they were sick or went to visit them in the hospital or prayed for them and all of a sudden everything is negative. I mean, everything that ever happened at this church is just a negative thing. It's because they become so critical. Maybe one or two things happened and they just started criticizing those things and then it kind of tainted their memory and now everything is negative. But negative criticism can become dangerous to your marriage. Replace your negative criticism with appreciation. When we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see words like charity is long-suffering, charity suffers long, love is kind, charity is kind, not easily provoked, beareth all things, endureth all things. It doesn't fit with being negative toward your spouse. It doesn't fit with critiquing them in a negative way. So when we measure up to God's word, we find out that God doesn't want us to be critical of our spouse. And study to know your spouse. You know, learn things about your spouse that will help you appreciate them more. Why don't you ask yourself, what does my spouse worry about? What are my spouse's fears? What are their hopes? What are their goals? What, what about their history? You know what? If you learn things about your spouse. The more you learn about them, the more you're able to understand. And maybe you're able to enter into their world a little bit. This is how they feel. And when you understand how someone feels, it's harder for you to be negative toward them because you understand a little bit more. You have an appreciation of what maybe they've been through in their life or maybe what they're going through. But by learning to have an appreciation for your spouse, you're able to cut out the criticism or criticalness that you would have. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If we look at our own selves instead of our spouse, then it helps us in our life. But replace your negative criticism with appreciation. Number two, replace contempt with admiration. Replace contempt with admiration. Contempt is the feeling that a person is beneath consideration or worthy of scorn or just worthless. And sometimes you can make your spouse feel this way if you have the wrong kind of attitude toward them. You have words and feelings of contempt. You'll consider the synonyms from Merriam-Webster's online thesaurus. Despisement, despitefulness, disdain, scorn. Contempt is when you attack the person and character of your spouse. It's gone beyond just criticizing now. Now you're attacking them as a person. Now you are accusing them. Now you're attacking their character. And I've seen that happen in, in marriages before where people just attack one another. Here are some examples of contempt. You are a lousy excuse for a wife. Or you are a lazy, good-for-nothing husband. You see how now it's not just criticizing your spouse. Now you're accusing your spouse of character issues. I don't know if that would make me angry. If someone calls me lazy, that makes me angry because you're questioning my character as a person. When you say something to intentionally hurt your spouse, 
emotionally, you know that it's hurtful to them, but you say it anyway. When you tell your wife, hey, when you make some comment about her weight and you know she's sensitive about that, that is a bad thing to do in marriage. Maybe you comment about past mistakes, your spouse. Maybe they made some mistakes in their past and they're working on those things to correct them, but you bring that up to hurt them or give you leverage in an argument. You have, you're using contempt to hurt your spouse. But replace contempt with admiration. Replace contempt with admiration. Compare your language that you use when you talk to your spouse with the love language of 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to this. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, thinketh no evil. So when we compare our language that we use when we talk to our spouse, when we compare it to this text in 1 Corinthians 13, we find there is no place for contempt. So when we're smart with our spouse and when we say things that are hurtful to them, that brings contempt into your marriage. Practice nurturing and fondness. and ab- Practice nurturing fondness and admiration with the following. Talk about your memories together that were enjoyable. How about instead of focusing on all the bad things about your spouse, why don't you find some things that you've done together, memories that you've made that were enjoyable, and talk about those things. Meditate on incidents that illustrate things that are good about your spouse. How about this? Instead of thinking about negative thoughts about your spouse, think about an incident that happened when your spouse did something that was good. Meditate on those things. You know, my, my husband brought me flowers on this day, or it's been a few weeks, but my husband brought me flowers, and maybe think about the good things that your husband does instead of all the negative things when he leaves his clothes on the floor. And when, or when your wife is not what she should, you think she should be, or she's not treating you the way that you think she is, why don't you think about all the times that she has and replace those thoughts that you have of contempt with things that memories that are enjoyable to your mind. Let your mind think about the good things. Identify things that you like about your spouse and think about those things instead. You know, I love the way my wife smiles. I've always loved her smile. And I always think about, when I think about my wife, I think about that smile. And the first time I saw her, that's one thing that so stood out to me so much. She just had this beautiful smile and it just kind of changes everything. And I think about that when I think about my wife. And that's something that I like about her, that I like to think about. And maybe your spouse is the same way. There are things that you can think about that are good about your spouse, even though you may be having a hard time, even though things may not be what you think they ought to be. Instead of meditating on the things that are not what you think they ought to be, maybe meditate on the things that are good about your spouse. Maybe instead of thinking about all the things that your spouse does wrong, think about the things that your spouse does right. Think about the things that you like. It's like retraining your brain. And you know, we get in such a bad shape when we get critically, critically minded. We get in such a bad shape that that's the only thing we can think about is things that are wrong and things that aren't right. And we're just so critical. But you condition your mind to be critical, right? Over time, maybe you didn't intend it to be that way, but it's become critical. By over time, you just thought about the negative things so much that you became negative as a person. But if you look at your spouse and stop thinking about the things that you don't like about them and think about the things that you do, it'll change the way you look at your spouse. You recondition your mind. And I think about how does God, how often he goes out of his way to see the good in me, right? I mean, there are times 
when I really mess up and I think maybe God shouldn't have anything else to do with me. But he always finds a way to see my potential instead of what I'm doing wrong or the things that I'm really struggling with at the time. He's always patient with me. And maybe we can learn a good lesson for uh, working with our spouse that if we'll be patient with them, if we'll choose to see the good in them, that God will help our marriage to be something better, that we'll have admiration instead of contempt for our spouse. Rediscover respect and admiration for your spouse. You know, it's hard to show disdain for someone that you respect. It turns everything around. When you have respect and admiration for your spouse, it's hard to show disdain toward them. So rediscover those things. It's hard to say hurtful things to someone that you admire. You know, don't allow the devil and your flesh to ruin your marriage and make the only thing you think about are negative things about your spouse. Your husband may make mistakes, but there are enough qualities in him for you to respect and honor him as your husband, right? After all, you did choose to marry him, right? Your wife may not look like a Barbie doll anymore, but God has given you her plenty of things for you to be thankful for. And after all, guess who decided to marry her? Guess who made that decision? Guess who made that, de- that choice? But sometimes having a good marriage just takes some work, doesn't it? Sometimes we just have to work at it to have a good marriage. Number three, replace defensiveness with vulnerability. Replace defensiveness with vulnerability. Sometimes our first thought when in conflict, or my first thought when I'm in conflict with someone, is just to defend myself. I want to uh, defend my character and my honor, and I want to prove a point that, hey, I'm right and you're wrong, or hey, I'm right in this situation. And that's defensiveness. We put up this defensiveness. But according to God's word, the Bible says, love seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and beareth all things. So, well, that doesn't fit with my defensiveness, does it? Because I'm supposed to, if I'm living right, if my love is right toward my wife, I'm not supposed to seek my own. I'm not supposed to seek my own defense. I'm supposed to bear all things. I'm not supposed to be easily provoked. I'm not supposed to immediately put up this big wall in front of my wife because this wall of defensiveness. The disagreements escalate when you try to defend yourself. It just gets worse when you try to defend yourself. When someone's, uh, when you're having conflict and you want to defend yourself now, you've upped it. Now your voice is raised. Now you're getting upset. Now things are really going downhill quick because you're choosing to defend yourself. It's like we put up this shield to protect our feelings and our thoughts that we have about ourselves. We just want to feel great about ourselves, right? So we put up this shield. We want to defend the way we feel about our own selves, how good we feel about how good we really are, right? So we want to put this shield up to protect and to guard against the way we feel. Sometimes we just have this tendency to keep our guard up when we're near our spouse, but choose to speak softly to your spouse. The words that you choose to use sometimes determine the language, determine the whole tone of the discussion you're having. Harsh words will produce a harsh marriage. You know, if you start out a conversation with criticism and accusations, it's not going to end well for anyone. But how often does it happen that we just start talking? It's immediately a criticism of our spouse. We're going down the wrong road when we use harsh words when we talk to one another. Consider that you never really win in an argument with your spouse. 
No, nobody really wins when you argue, right? Nobody really comes out a winner. It's not like some debate that we're going to like, uh, we're going to, oh, this is after the fact, like CNN, a presidential debate. Now, after the fact, oh, this is who won, this is who lost. It's not, it doesn't work that way. In marriage, everybody loses when you have one of these uh, big arguments. But choose to speak softly to your spouse. Try to use I statements instead of you statements when having discussions with your spouse. Here's a couple of examples. Instead of saying, you never listen to me, you spend too much time on your phone, let's turn it around and use the I statement. When you don't listen compassionately, I feel lonely. I feel lonely and helpless. So now, see, I've turned it around to where it's more about how I feel instead of attacking my spouse and saying, you're doing this or you're doing this wrong. How about this? You're a slob. Stop picking, start picking up after yourself. Right? Sometimes you, you may want to say that to your husband. You expect me to do everything for you. This is a better way to say it. You say, I feel overwhelmed when you don't help me out around the house. Or I feel overwhelmed when you leave things sitting around. Now, that sounds a lot better, doesn't it? I'm not accusing my spouse. I'm not attacking my spouse's character. Maybe you might say this. You never call or text me. You just don't care about me anymore. How about this? Replace that with I feel neglected and lonely when you don't contact me somehow during the day. Now, that sounds a lot better, doesn't it, when we turn around and we use I statements. But try to put I in there instead of you. And it makes a big difference. It helps you to speak softly to your spouse. And when you start a conversation with you, it really gets things on the wrong note, doesn't it? Well, you're a slob. You slob now. I've got to defend myself. Wait, what do you mean by that? Wait a second. Hold on a second. And then we have this big argument and we have all these things bad to say about each other. Allow your spouse to influence you. Show that you care about the feelings of your spouse by listening to what they have to say. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, we learn this incredible truth that the husband is a spiritual leader of the home. But sometimes we really take that to a carnal place, don't we? Men really go overboard with this. It's okay to care about the feelings of your wife. Hey, I I want to move to Antarctica because I am tired of dealing with people. If I go there, there's nobody there. And I I can become a scientist and we can work with the penguins and I really like animals and this is going to be great. So I load up my family and go, you know what, maybe I need to stop and consider about how this is going to affect my wife. My wife likes to be around people. My wife would not enjoy being isolated in the middle of nowhere. But you know, because it's okay to consider the feelings, what your decisions are doing, and how it affects the way your spouse feels. Consider how your actions and de- decisions affect your spouse and her feelings. You know, before you spend on your latest hobby, maybe as the husband and the leader of your home, you can you should consider what your spouse needs, or maybe even she might want to have a hobby, right? To think of it, she may want to have a hobby and she may want some things. Maybe you should consider what your spouse thinks and how they feel. It's like developing an emotional intelligence and it helps you consider the feelings of your spouse before you do things. But make yourself vulnerable to your spouse. That's really what it's all about. You know, we want to put up this wall and we want to be defensive about the way we think about ourselves, right? We want to be defensive, but take down that wall when you're around your spouse. Put the shield down. Let your guard down. Really, what do you have to lose by being vulnerable to your wife? I mean, you don't have anything to lose. 
Your wife is the most important person in the world to you besides the Lord, right? On earth, your relationship with your spouse is the most important relationship that you have. So what would it hurt to let your guard down? What would it hurt to just be vulnerable? So replace a defensiveness with vulnerability when you're with your spouse. Let your shield down. Even if it means you may be hurt somehow in the process or your feelings God forbid, would be hurt in the process. Let your guard down when you're around your spouse. You know, I've learned something. When someone criticizes me, even when they do it in the wrong way, a lot of times there's a measure of truth to what they're saying. I mean, if I stop to think about it, my first response is I want to defend myself. But looking back on when people have criticized me in the past, maybe there was a measure of truth to what they were saying. Maybe there are some things that I need to work on in my life, and maybe they just pointed it out to me even if they did it in a carnal way, right? But, there's, but you open yourself up, become vulnerable to your spouse. You may learn something by being vulnerable to your spouse. Understand that sometimes your wife may not need you to fix something, but just to listen and sympathize. You know, sometimes when I come home, I want to talk about things that have happened at work, and I don't need my wife to tell me that maybe even if they were right, maybe if I did have a bad attitude at work, maybe if I was kind of harsh with my coworker, I want my wife to say, bless your heart, I love you, I want sympathy. And sometimes my wife wants that. I, you know, I come home and she talks about how the kids have been acting all day. It's not time for me to say, well, you know what, if you would just be consistent in your discipline. I mean, if you would just follow up in what you say to these kids, they would stop doing this to you. I mean, you let them run all over you. And no, that's not what my spouse, she just wants sympathy. She wants me to put my arm around her and say, I'm sorry that you had such a bad day. I'm sorry that this happened to you, but I'm here for you now. And let's work on the kids' attitude together. And maybe at a later time we could discuss Maybe the way we want to raise our kids together, not, not at a time where we're feeling emotional or we're uh, using the you sentences and not having a, a vulnerability that we need to have. Number four, replace stonewalling with open dialogue. According to Wikipedia, stonewalling is a refusal to communicate or cooperate. It's when you just don't want to deal with something anymore. You just stonewall. You become evasive, refuse to answer, or just walk away. It's called stonewalling. I think, in my opinion, I think it's more common in men than in women, but I see it happen all the time, and I am, guess what, guilty of this one. Sometimes I stonewall. I don't want to deal with things, so I just stonewall, but replace the stonewalling with open dialogue with your spouse. When tensions arise and I become flooded with emotion, and I'm not a very emotional person, But when I do experience emotion, I don't always know how to handle that. I don't know how to process the way I'm feeling sometimes. Maybe I'm angry or upset. I don't know how to process that. So sometimes my instinct is I don't want to deal with it at all. I want to run away from this problem. I want to avoid this problem or this conflict that I may be having in my marriage. You know, it's okay to agree to talk about things later. I believe in that. You know, if you're upset or I'm angry, I say, Honey, I want, let's talk about this at another time. I'm upset right now. Can we please talk about this later? And then I try to go back later, right, and talk about it. Not just, not just stonewalling my spouse, but that's not the right way to do. But sometimes we stonewall one another just because you just don't want to deal with something. But replace that with open dialogue. And when I think about this, when I was studying this, I thought about this TV show called Little House on the Prairie. Has everyone probably watched Little House on the Prairie, right? My kids have watched 
I think, every episode of Little House on the Prairie multiple times. I mean, they really love that show. But one part about that show that has always drove me crazy is the store owner, Nils Olsen, his wife is just horrible to him. I mean, she treats so, he, she was so belligerent to the poor guy. And every time I watch it, I would say, man, would you please just stand up for yourself? Please say something. I mean, do, confront this woman, do something. But he's like stonewalling. I mean, he's, not, he's just standing there, doesn't say anything, or he walks off, or he just, she's constantly on him and saying things that she shouldn't. But sometimes it's that way in our marriage. I mean, if anybody needed counseling, it was those two. But our marriage gets that way sometimes when we start stonewalling when the husband wants to stonewall his wife. You know what? Sometimes it's best to resolve the conflicts that you're having. Sit down and work out the difficulties that you're having instead of just trying to avoid it. Acting like it's not there doesn't make it go away. I wish it did. I wish going out to the garage made things go away. I wish I wish driving off to the store or the convenience store made my problems in my marriage go away, but it doesn't work that way. I have to sit down with my wife and we have to work through those things together. Replace stonewalling with open dialogue. Learn how to re- resolve your problems effectively. And it's not, you don't resolve your problems by stonewalling. You know, sometimes your spouse may have a, red, a white flag in a discussion. Have you ever done that? Maybe you're uh, arguing with your spouse and you're in a, a discussion and maybe you're in a disagreement. And sometimes you just put up the white flag. You know what? I was wrong. Listen for the white flag when your spouse puts it up. And they, they said they were wrong. You can stop now. <laughs> you can stop making your point. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did wrong. I made a mistake. Listen for your spouse attempting. to. Maybe it's time to cool down your rhetoric when you, your spouse puts up that white flag. Your spouse may be attempting to let things go. And that's when you cool down the rhetoric. That's when it's time to just let things go yourself. Your spouse may be trying to live the love description of 1 Corinthians 13. Hey, I don't want to argue. I don't want to fight. You know, I want to understand where you're coming from. And I know you've had a hard day. And I'm sorry that I did this to you or I said this this to you. But I think the key, in my opinion, I think the key is how you recover from not necessarily not ever having a disagreement or not ever having these types of things happen in your marriage, but the way you recover from those things that happen in your marriage. When my kids, they, they like Kindle fires and they've, their grandparents got them Kindle fires several years ago for Christmas and they've already been through a whole set. They've got on the second, second round of Kindle fires. And I thought it was such a great thing because I thought they're going to read. I thought that's what a Kindle, Kindle was. I thought you read on a Kindle, but no. They play games on the Kindle. They, they, want, they, want their, they want to play games, and it has apps, and they can play this game. And, Daddy, would you please download this for me? And they always do, but they had an app or something on there where they could do a video, and it was just a, some kind of video, and they could video themselves, and they could send it to their grandparents. Well, this is a great thing they could do. And we're at Wi-Fi at the house. They can video and send this video to the grandparents. So one day, my wife and I were driving home from a long trip, and we were both exhausted. I mean, we were tired. And I'm going to be honest with you, we got into a fight. And unbeknownst to us, my daughter Allison, who was much younger at the time, was videotaping (laughs) to my father-in-law. And she was doing this on her Kindle Fire, and we had no idea. And then when somehow we realized after we were through and after the shots were fired and after our you sentences were said, then we realized, she said, hey, I got this video to send to Grandpa. 
And we were just terrified. And then we pulled up into our driveway and it said video uploaded. And we we're like, oh, my goodness, what has just happened? And so my wife called my father-in-law. He said, yeah, I've already watched the video. And it was just horrible. But sometimes it's not never having a disagreement or never having a problem. But it's how you recover from that problem. You know, in my opinion, the most important thing is, is not to avoid them, but to recover well from them. You know, after you cool, cool off and you reflect on your foolishness and you reflect on maybe 1 Corinthians 13 and you make up with each other. And it's in those moments when our marriage is really built, when we make up with each other. But the key is to make up fast, to not stonewall, to, to keep yourself vulnerable with your spouse recover quickly. And the Bible teaches as much to not, not go to bed angry with one another. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not, neither let the sun go down upon your wrath. So don't go to bed angry with each other. Don't let those disagreements that you have linger on longer than they should. We're all human. We all make mistakes, right? We all do the you sentences to each other sometimes, but we can't let that continue to be a problem in our marriage. So in conclusion, four things you need to replace in your love life. Number one, replace criticism with appreciation. Start showing appreciation for your spouse instead of criticizing them all the time. Number two, replace contempt with admiration. You know what? If you learn to admire and love and cherish, cherish and honor your spouse, it would be kind of hard to show contempt toward them. Number three, Replace defensiveness with vulnerability. Let your guard down. Number four, replace stonewalling with open dialogue. Learn how to sit down and work things out with your spouse. God has something amazing planned for your marriage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 where we learn so much about what it really means to love and to have this love for our spouse that we should have. And I pray that you would help us to take the principles from your word and apply them to our everyday lives so that we can have a marriage that's honoring and pleasing to you and that is a testimony to this world that's around us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.